Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purposes only. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, tax, or investment advice. Please consult with a professional specializing in these areas regarding the applicability of this information to your situation. All things finance and business leading you to success at work, at home, and in life. It's the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. And now, here's your host, Dr. Doug Ramsey. Welcome to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. I am your host, Dr. Doug Ramsey, broadcasting live from the Mojo Five O Studios. In the studio with me, as always, producer Ron Phillips. Good morning, Ron. Hey, good morning. How are you, Doug? Great. Uh, are you uh, you doing a basketball basketball bracket this year? I am not. I'm just not a big sports guy. I, I never really have been. Well, it's uh, <laughs> it's always a fun time of year for uh, you know the office pools and. You know, everybody to uh, rally around sports, especially uh, in this time of the COVID pandemic. But a couple of notable upsets, even if you're not a sports fan, these are uh, these are kind of interesting because uh, not big names uh, that you would expect to be uh, winning, but uh, they've uh, uh, actually done really well so far. So round one is done in the books. A uh, couple of big wins, UNT, University of North Texas over Purdue, uh, 78-69. to 69. That was the number 13 seed over number four. Uh, UCSB, that's uh, UC Santa Barbara, almost, almost upset Creighton. Uh, they lost by one point, uh, 62 to 63. Uh, that would have been a great win for the uh, Santa Barbara program. Uh, UCLA uh, over BYU, 73-62, to 62, so a pretty good uh, victory over there. That's n- number 11 over, um, what did I write down here, number one? That doesn't sound quite right, but um, good win there. Uh, Abilene Christian over Texas. A lot of Longhorn fans uh, probably in mourning today. 
Uh, Abilene Christian won 53 to 52. That's number 14 seed over number three. And then uh, you've got a uh, big win, big, big win. Oral Roberts over Ohio State, 75 to 72. So the battle continues on the uh, on the courts today. So we'll see how round two uh, turns out. All right, right, uh, hot off the presses from yesterday, um, Acer. Uh, Acer, it turns out, uh, according to the record and bleeping computer, uh, they record, uh, reported that uh, PC manufacturer Acer has been hit with a ransomware attack on its back office network. And uh, these ransomware attacks... That kind of surprises me. For a computer company to be hit with that. Yeah. Well, somebody, it, somebody clicked on the wrong link. Yeah. <laughs> could be. According to the information they've uh, seen posted on the dark web, that's these two uh, outfits that are watching for uh, shenanigans. Um, the, uh, and I don't know how you pronounce this. It's capital R, capital E, V-I-L. So it's either R evil or revel. I think evil. Evil's in the word there. Yeah, evil, it probably are evil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that ransomware gang is demanding $50 million to decrypt its computers and delete stolen data instead of leaking it. My wife's company went through that a year or so ago. I'm sorry, uh, maybe three or four years ago. They ended up paying a ransom to get their stuff back. I mean, what's... In Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even tougher to trace there if you're trying to shut these guys down. Uh, you know, it's what do you do if it's locked up and uh, your entire organization's dependent on that data? Uh, you got to pay something. I think then it's just a ne- game of uh, negotiation after that. Try to talk them down and yeah. not not pay fifty million bucks. And I think and they start. Then you fire your CTO, <laughs> right? Oh uh, yeah, the poor CTO. He's uh, uh, hopefully their email is not uh, on AOL still. Uh, so they um, uh, they talk about uh, another company called CD Project Red. Uh, they had to publicly acknowledge that they had a ransomware attack. Um, that impacted their plans, and they wound up releasing new patches for their Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, the game developer may be on its way to recovering from that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big risk these days. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later. Boards of directors are in companies really have to focus on that. It's becoming the big uh, DNO insurance hot button. Uh, and it's driving uh, DNO insurance premiums uh, up significantly and and very rapidly. So, uh, really need to keep an eye on uh, on what your CTO uh, is doing. CTO, if you're not aware, is chief technology officer. So the CTO is over uh, all things data and um, computer systems and so and forth. the security of it. Yes. And, uh, you know, if people think it's kind of a hassle when you're going to do authentication and just, you know, logging in with, a, you know, having to do 
kind of two steps, but it's really, really important because hackers can get into your phones. They can get into your laptops when you're sitting there at Starbucks. It's, uh, it's amazing how easy it is. And so, um, it's better to live through kind of a dual authentication process. They made it relatively easy nowadays. You know, most of them, when you go to log in, then they'll kick back a, you know, five or six digit code right back to your phone by text. And then you just key that in. Well, um, that's relatively easy. The, the, the dual authentication wasn't so streamlined, you know, a few years ago, but they're trying to make it uh, um, efficient uh, and fairly, um, you know, invasive-free and hassle-free. And I don't mind having it on there if it's going to add that extra layer of protection. Is I've got a lot of uh, information I don't want to have hacked, but... One of the things, well, let's talk about this. I didn't even have it kind of on the agenda, but um, let's branch off into it is protecting your uh, passwords. And I use a service. It's an app uh, on my iPhone called Keeper Security. And Keeper Security was recommended to me by a sergeant uh, with the Addison Police Department. And he had studied this and he was uh, formerly uh, serving in the Navy and doing a bunch of um counter um, uh, intelligence work. So he was really dialed into security and and um, ways to um, protect your information. And uh, for him on the personal level, uh, that's the um, password uh, application that he picked that uh, uh, he thought was best in class. And it's relatively inexpensive. You pay a annual fee and it's not all that much. But it winds up keeping all your passwords in one place because I used to have mine just in my uh, Outlook, Microsoft Outlook, under my name in the contacts folder. And I was always worried about that, that uh, it might get uh, uh, hacked and uh, it wasn't all that secure. And so I've migrated everything over into this single application and it's got it locked down. It's got it encrypted and then you um, are the only one that can access that, and you do it via um, thumbprint and uh, a master password. And at master password, you don't want to forget that because um, that's the one password you don't want to forget because that's the one that gets you into the application to get to all your other passwords. So you got to make sure you you uh, never forget the master password. But uh, it's a great way to keep keep your passwords secure and also organize them because it allows you to build folders and you can do categories like I've got a banking folder and then it's got my um, online banking uh, information and passwords there. It's got my bank debit card um, uh, password and, and access. So uh, you can break out these folders into you know any number of categories. It's kind of a free form. Um, architecture, and you just set it up or design it the way that uh, works best for you. So uh, just a suggestion there. Uh, you want to make sure you you lock this stuff down because the hackers are out there working 24-7 trying to get into your um, get into your computers and get into your phones and, and start stealing data and stealing those passwords to get into bank accounts and everything else. So uh, make sure you're careful on that. All right. Sports. 
We just talked about the uh, NCAA March Madness. Let's talk about the NFL. This also hot off the press from yesterday. The NFL, uh, it actually, uh, that organization, it, it signed a 11-year uh, media rights deal uh, recently. And that media rights deal is uh, going to raise for the teams this 11-year contract uh, more than $100 billion in media rights fees. Unbelievable. Um, that's a uh, that's a lot of money, Ron. That's almost that's almost ten billion dollars a year just for the uh, media rights to uh, the National Football League. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing, and uh, you know, I thought there'd be a big backlash from um, the BLM stuff that was you know kind of ripping through the organization and um, some of the political controversy, but uh, the NFL is alive and well. Ten billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars, just mind-boggling. So, they also have another contract that they're working on, which is to their uh, data. And this data rights agreement, uh, they are talking about. Uh, they're seeking somewhere uh, between a hundred and two hundred fifty million dollars for um, uh, under the data rights agreement, and that's to access the data. Uh, and that data is used mainly by the online um, sports betting uh, companies. Currently, uh, where is it here? Currently, they've got a data agreement with um, Sport Radar, and they also have an equity stake in Sport Radar. So they're vested directly uh, via that equity investment, and that dates back to 2015. Uh, but that's another. Another way for uh, the NFL to pick up some money in, in the way they run the business, um, <clears throat> they pick up live or supply live play-by-play information, and they operate um, uh, NFL's the NFL's next-generation stats using Amazon technology. So Amazon got a good plug in there. Uh, one of the competitors to Sport Radar is Stats Perform. Uh, they're Chicago-based, um, and I'm sure they'll be bidding on the uh, agreement as well. The previous deal for the uh, data information, uh, or actually this is for the NBA. The NBA, just in relative terms, NBA has a sports data deal that was um, uh, $41 million per year. So NFL, again, is um, you know it's the biggest sports franchise organization on the planet and um, big bigger than the NBA. Um, and that's just as an indicator of it there. All right. Student debt, Ron, I know you're back in school. You're a <laughs> lifelong learner. Yes. Um, you are at a, at an institution, you know, public institution. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a beef with the education you got, but uh, not so for a lot of other students, especially ones that went to the f- for-profit universities. And it turns out the Biden administration is set to cancel a billion dollars in student loan debt. But uh, there are a couple of uh, requirements to be in that category. And that is, uh, number one, that you got ripped off by the school you went to. 
All right, so I'm sure there are a couple of measures. You had to have been ripped off before they'll give you cancel your student loan, right? So this is this is separate and aside from the the general forgiveness that uh, you know was talked about in the in the stimulus plans and so forth, and part of you know Biden's whole uh, you know mantra what he was going to do for uh, for students. This is the ones. Uh, completely separate and aside, but it's the ones that went to for-profit schools that, you know, they promise you they place, you know, 99% uh, of the graduates in in jobs right after they get out. And then it turns out the jobs aren't uh, worth a darn or completely unrelated or it's misrepresented and the uh, placement rate isn't even close. Uh, You know, they measured the placement rate on a Monday between the hours of 11 and 12 a.m., uh, you know, whatever, they how they slice the data. but uh, Or if that for-profit organization, if it just went belly up, it couldn't get enough, uh, you know, revenue coming through the door and they shut it down. Those are the ones that are eligible under this particular program. And uh, officials say uh, it'll help about 72,000 Americans. Uh, I'm not sure if it applies, and it doesn't say in the article here, to vocational schools. Um, you know, vocational would be more like the um, the trade tech ones, the automotive um, repair guys uh, and the like. But then further, just um, uh, industry-specific schools, and that's why uh, – we put up the uh, title of the show about Trump University. I'm not sure if it would extend to a private <clears throat> for-profit um, entity like Trump University where uh, they're just, you know, teaching how to buy real estate and it's uh, uh, it's kind of uh, industry-specific. So uh, I'm sure more details will be forthcoming when uh, – when Biden's press secretary circles back on this topic uh, and and we'll see how that goes. But uh, it looks like not only uh, any student loans that you still have remaining outstanding, if you went to one of these schools will get forgiven. But if you've paid on student loans up to this point um, for that same um, school, then they'll uh, reimburse you for uh, payments already made. Plus, they also have a provision that's going to let you wipe out any um, negative marks on your um, credit report as they relate to um, these particular student loans. So uh, they're trying to clean up some stuff. I, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good move there. And it's so easy when you're young, especially – to you know, get sucked into the marketing hype of a particular program and how great it is, and if it just you know doesn't pass a smell test on the look back, yeah, uh, you know you're not going to get uh, ultimately penalized for it. So uh, I think that's a good move. All right, if you're in the market uh, for a little bit of estate planning and a review of where you're at uh, in terms of being prepared for what looks like a higher tax regime coming. Uh, you need to get uh, get somebody to take a look at your current uh, situation. Best guy in the business, I use him. Uh, my family uses him, uh, Tony Vaccaro. Tony's at the Independent Advanced Planning Group. You can reach Tony at 
independent APG, APG for advanced planning group.com, or you can call them at 214-837-3512. That's 214-837-3512. He's, uh, he'd be happy to talk to you and give you a complimentary um, assessment, and he'll tell you the good, the bad, the ugly. You may not need to do anything, or you may need a complete overhaul, uh, but he'll give you an honest and fair uh, assessment and talk about your uh, your options. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the the main topic of the day. And the main topic of the day, uh, we're going to talk about boards of directors and the boards for companies, whether they're public or private companies. Um, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit, boards have specific duties. And if you've ever started up a company, you get the bylaws, and the bylaws always talk about how you're supposed to have a board meeting typically at least once a year. And some of the main, um, uh, main powers or duties of the board you know, are, are in the bylaws. But a lot of particularly small business owners – yeah, it's it's an afterthought. Um, they wind up skipping the meetings, <clears throat> and uh, you know nothing winds up getting done. And then when you try to go to sell a business, or you've got some important uh, milestone the company's trying to achieve, whether it's a big financing or uh, you're going to enter into a partnership, whatever it happens to be, uh, a lot of times you scramble and you're having to catch up. Um, on those uh, on those board meetings and, and um, <clears throat> ratify and anything that's happened in the past, it's fairly easy for an attorney, a good attorney, to you know write up a set of documents that approves everything that's happened um, and rolls it back to whatever point in time you need to take it back to. But um, point here is instead of doing the mad dash and the scramble when it exposes. Uh, your officers and your and your directors to uh, particular liability when you're kind of remiss in keeping up and having those those regular meetings. So we're going to deep dive into uh, the various topics uh, with regard to forming the board, and then go over the board duties and and talk through. Um, uh, the components of that and really the kind of exposure you're going to wind up with um, when you uh, when you start the company and, and uh, are expected to follow through and follow the state regulations on that. So if you roll back the, uh, the clock to day one, <clears throat> you've got to set up or form your company uh, under the laws or jurisdiction of a particular state. A lot of times the easiest thing to do is you incorporate or you organize your partnership in the state where your business is, wherever you have your office and it's, you know, probably by your house and all that. If you're in California, typically you'll incorporate in California. If you're in Texas, Texas, and so forth. Well, uh, there, depending on what you plan on doing, there can be some advantages to actually incorporate out of the states you operate out of 
and then uh, file a um, foreign entity application in the state you are in. So uh, a lot of companies um, that have bigger plans, they'll incorporate in Delaware because Delaware has company favorable legislation on the books and they're, they're real business friendly. You uh, incorporate in Delaware. And then if you're operating in Texas, then you just file a uh, foreign registration in Texas, cost you a few bucks. And so now you're allowed to operate out of Texas, but you are a Delaware C Corp. Um, C Corp being a traditional corporation. So that's the first step is figure out where you're going to be organizing for the business out of. Uh, California, uh, California, you got to be ready for the slot machine because it costs 800 bucks a year to, even if you're the smallest of small companies, $800 a year just to keep your um, annual uh, designation registration uh, intact and uh, not have the state shut you down. Because if you don't file your annual reports with the state, and I'm not talking about a annual report like you get from a Fortune 500 company, I'm talking about an informational report, you got to file each year um, and you can do it yourself or you can have a registered agent do it. And the registered agent, uh, you pay them, you know, typically a hundred bucks, uh, a year. And then they wind up, uh, checking with you to see if there are any changes and then they file the form for you and keep you current. All right. So that gets you set up and going. And then we'll talk about the, uh, the board of directors, um, here after the commercial breaks. Um, you've been listening to the Dr. Doug Ramsey show. We will be back, uh, right after these messages and we'll keep on going on, uh, on boards and their duties. All right. We'll be right back after this. take for you to go to mojo50solar.com. Mojo50solar.com is the place where you can find out just how much it will cost you to have a solar system installed at your house and how much you could save. Mojo50solar.com. Triggering change one heartbeat at a time. That is the purpose of Battle for Freedom. My biggest challenge is helping people see that they are constantly moving and never settled. They are not settled in life because they are spiritually and mentally homeless. James Otis wrote the following on the writs of assistance in 1761. One of the most essential branches of English liberty is the freedom of one's house. A man's house is his castle. I host Battle for Freedom on Mojo Fire Radio at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday for this very reason. Our homes are tattered because we have made too many allegiances to ideologies and movements solely created to keep us distracted, divided, and distanced from our foundation. Join me on Battle for Freedom, where I trigger change one heartbeat at a time. Battle for Freedom.
December 16th, 1773. And now, what really happened at the Boston Tea Party? <laughs> what are they doing? They're throwing all the king's tea and coffee into the harbor to protest taxation without representation. Do you think we should stop them? I really like my coffee. Come on, it's not American Pride Roasters. Yeah, that would be a trebuchet mockery. American Pride Roasters, the choice coffee of real American patriots for over 250 years. That's right. Get yours today at AmericanPrideRoasters.com. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. And welcome back to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. All right, so you got your company set up. Next step is you need to determine who your board of directors is. And the board of directors, I mean, it, it, you ought to put a lot of thought into it because it really can help uh, guide your company in the strategic direction you want to go. And it's not just stacking a board up with a bunch of your friends that uh, you, know, you like to hang out with. Uh, you want to get the most out of uh, your director's um, time and definitely make sure that um, uh, you're you're using them wisely and you're not just uh, wasting everybody's time. So what are you looking for? It depends on uh, a number of things. First of all, what are you trying to do with the company? Where do you want to take it? How big do you want to get? What kind of um, talent do you already have among uh, your existing team or the team that you're pulling together um, that you want supported by uh, this board that's going to provide oversight? So it really makes sense to sit down, uh, you know, if you're starting a business with you and a few other folks, do a skills assessment first. You know, what do you bring to the table? What do your partners bring to the table? Uh, and we're not just talking about, you know, money. We're talking about actually uh, uh, knowledge, experience, um, relationships, um, you know, network, network to um, future customers, network to um, financing sources, um, network to other uh, people in the industry that uh potential you might be able to hire in or, you know, you can leverage to uh, expand the business. And so uh, go through that skills assessment, see where you got voids, and then think about the broader picture as well. All right. Do you have somebody that's a finance and accounting expert that you can bring onto the board? Especially if you plan on going public at some point, you need an accounting and finance expert because, they're going to wind up chairing your audit committee. All right. Do you have somebody that's an, an industry expert uh, that's willing to um, jump on the board and, and uh, uh, contribute? Do you have somebody that's a marketing specialist? Maybe, maybe that's an area where um, you really want to get some focus on it. Um, you're entering into an industry where, you know, digital marketing uh, is going to be a differentiator and be able to help you grow faster. Your existing team may not have that much knowledge about digital marketing. You know, get a marketing 
person on there. They don't all have to be out of um, out of industry either. Uh, you can get a lot of good advice from uh, academics, uh, maybe even some of the professors you had when you're you were in college. Um, maybe tap uh, tap one or two of them to um, to jump on the board with you. Um, some of that, some of the advice from some of the top ac- academic folks is uh, invaluable. So, uh, really look at uh, look at your contact list, talk to folks, ask around. Hey, who would be good for this role, that role, and uh, and get out there and have a conversation and see if you can't uh, uh, persuade uh, those folks to come on the board with you. All right. Next question, how many insiders versus outsiders do you have on the board? Well, I can tell you if you ultimately want to go public, the fewer the number of insiders, the better. Uh, you want to have mostly independent directors. An independent director is not going to have a um, really a, a vested interest. Um, uh, uh, well, they're not going to have a vested interest in terms of being, you know, inside uh, and maybe some conflicted viewpoints um, if they're also drawing a salary and so forth. So you want people that are making good, um, conflict-free uh, decisions uh, as you're going into these meetings. So uh, most companies, uh, public companies in particular, will have um, maybe one insider, maybe two. A lot of times it's the CEO and maybe one of the other C-level Officers, uh, because they've got the they've got the knowledge uh, of what's going on day to day, they can share that with the board and impart that information. Um, versus having um, uh, an all independent board, an all independent board is probably not quite as efficient because they don't they don't have that uh, intelligence. It's a little more asymmetric in terms of the information flow. They don't have the intelligence into uh, those day-to-day operations versus having um, having the CEO or um, and or another C-level person uh, on the board uh, as well. So uh, make that selection. How many insiders? Uh, how big is the board going to be? Uh, you want to have enough people where uh, you know it makes sense to get different viewpoints, and and uh, it's not too small. You don't want to have what's you know, kind of a stacked board either where it's all the CEO's buddies and uh, they're always going to just rubber stamp decisions. You want you want uh, decision-making that's um, going to be impartial and, um, and honest uh, as you're going through agenda items at these meetings. All right. What do you do about... Uh, Committees. Committees, you're going to have three committees. You're going to have an audit committee. Uh, you're going to have a nominating uh, and corporate governance committee. And then you're going to have a compensation committee. All right. The, uh, the audit committee and the nominating corporate governance committee uh, should be all independent directors in terms of their composition. Usually it's going to be um, three committee members, sometimes two. Uh, on those committees. And then on the comp committee, typically you'll have the CEO as one of the comp committee members, and then the other two positions are going to be independents. And the reason is you want to make sure that um, 
uh, in terms of compensation goals, uh, milestones, uh, linking all this together, it's very helpful to have the CEO uh, as part of that committee to share that information and and, uh, interact with those other two independent directors. And it just streamlines uh, the process there. So you've got the three committees. You want to think about who is best on on each one. You also want to think about sharing duties. If you got a smaller board um, and uh, to get full coverage, you don't want to have. Uh, when I'll, I'll tell you with uh, with Breeze, uh, the public company that uh, I'm running, we didn't want to have a an individual board member on more than two committees. So we kind of spread the workload. And if you look at the National Association of Corporate Directors, that's an organization that supports uh, the education of directors and then also provides a lot of great uh, data and uh, templates to for boards to use. In uh, that research they, they do is, is pretty amazing. But the average amount of time, and this is on uh, your public companies, the average amount of time uh, that a an individual board member spends working on uh, uh, on their role for that company is two hundred about two hundred forty five hours a year. All right, you think uh, you know you do quarterly board meetings? That's uh, four hours, one hour a piece times four quarters. Maybe a little bit of prep time, maybe another couple hours. You know, you're getting up into the uh, ten to twenty hour range would be probably the typical answer if we ask somebody on the street on how much time should is going to wind up getting dedicated to uh, their director role. And uh, it turns out it's it's uh, around two hundred forty five hours a year. It's a lot, and the reason it's a lot is because of the liability exposure. And that liability exposure is really serious and it's, you know, nothing to fool around with. Even on a small business, if, uh, if there's a lack of commitment to reviewing due diligence on a transaction, let's say, um, let's say a um, company you're a director of, they're making an offer on a uh, target um, you really like this uh, target as a uh, acquisition. Uh, it's going to expand your market share by twenty percent. Um, you've been waiting for a couple of decades for this opportunity to present itself. The company's up for sale now, and uh, the CEO is so excited about this and and uh, wants to seize the day. CEO just says, uh, "We're going to offer." $5 million and uh, need everybody's approval. And nowadays, a lot of these meetings are Zoom uh, Zoom meetings. You know, they're not in person anymore. So he gets everybody on the Zoom call, says why he wants to do the deal, and everybody approves the transaction. Well, if, if the team didn't do any due diligence, they just went along with what the CEO said, you got a lot of lot of exposure, potential exposure. Let's say this target, it turns out, has you know super fun environmental liabilities. Well, nobody walked the 
facilities. Nobody walked the um, the operations in the field uh, as part of the uh, due diligence process. Um, did anybody look at uh, uh, secured claims on the uh, the business? That would be really easy to do. And if you've got a good law firm, uh, you pull UCC1 financing statements. And those UCC1s ought to be a routine course on any acquisition you wind up doing because it shows you who's got a security interest in um, some or all the assets of the uh, the target company. Well, let's say uh, you pay the, the $5 million and uh, all of a sudden you've got somebody that's making a demand and they're like, well, you know, uh, we've got a security interest in um, in these buildings, in this equipment. Uh, we got a uh, an interest in all assets, accounts receivable, inventory, and they didn't get paid off as part of the transaction. Or um, you assume those liabilities, but you didn't really check into it, and the outstanding balance is far higher than you know you might have anticipated, or when. Nobody looked at the uh, financial statements, and that's happened. There are court cases where uh, companies have gone in and just they wanted it so bad they just bought it and they they wound up uh, uh, get into a lot of trouble because they just didn't do their homework. So make sure that uh, you've got people that ask good questions and are are looking at that because of that uh, exposure. So how do you offset risk exposure? Well, every business is going to have risk. So that's transactional risk, but just uh, execution as you move forward, we don't know what the future holds. We didn't know a pandemic was going to hit. We didn't know, you know, uh, you don't know a lot of things when you're looking in the crystal ball. Well, uh, what kind of decision-making process has the board uh, made to uh, set the strategic path for the organization and uh, the road it's going to go down. And if the board is using um, what we call the duty of care uh, and uh, it gets further extended by the business judgment rule, they're probably not going to get exposed to uh, liability from their decision-making. You know, and the duty of care is, hey, you're going to do a good job. It's going to be thorough. You're going to use critical assessment. You're going to look at all the information available. You're going to ask tough questions. And then the business judgment rule extends that further. And, you know, it's it's almost like a reasonable person test to a degree where, hey, if you were sitting in uh, this director's seat, um, what kind of questions uh uh, would you expect to be asked? Were they asked? Um, are you are you really exploring uh, everything you need to know about the decision making process on whatever it happens to be? It can include uh, th- compensation programs. Um, it could be uh, expansion uh, into other market areas. Uh, you know, what is the board doing? Are they following this duty of care and uh, making sure that they are really thinking these decisions through thoroughly before you wind up um, uh, pulling the trigger on any 
particular action. Well, you also have a, uh, another duty. You got the duty of loyalty. So duty of loyalty really is um, grounded on the fact that your first responsibility is to this company as, as a director. And uh, you've got to minimize conflicts. And there's one uh, called the business opportunity. So um, let's say you're, a, you're an independent director on the board. You happen to um, be shown a, uh, a deal that's a good fit for the company you're, you represent that you're on the board of. But it's also a really good opportunity where you're thinking about doing it yourself away from the company. Well, your duty of loyalty says, hey, you've got to show that opportunity to the company you're, you're a director of first and give them the opportunity to um, transact and, and go forward with it. And if they, if the company elects not to uh, after they review the opportunity, then you can go ahead and pursue it, but you're not you're not to pursue it first and uh, not give uh, not give the company you represent a chance to even uh, bid on it. So you got to be real careful about conflicts. Um, you can run into conflicts if you're a service provider as well, and you're you're always pushing your own company to provide services um, into uh, the one you represent. Uh, that's got to be disclosed. The way you get around that, or you can you can mitigate the exposure, is you wind up um, uh, taking bids for services. So uh, that's a smart way to do it, and you're not going to get into a jam um, if uh, if the company is using uh, your own uh, your own company's services um, and uh, you get out of that. You mitigate the uh, the exposure on the uh, the conflict there. All right, how do you how do you buy some protection? Well, you buy protection by getting DNO insurance. It's directors and officers liability insurance. That DNO insurance is uh, is fairly expensive. Okay, do you typically get it? You know, when you're small and a startup, most companies don't just because of the price. As you get bigger, you've got more to lose and you've got more exposure. Um, that's when you start uh, start getting into the market. DNO insurance uh, can run you. And I, I'll just tell you from the SPAC uh, world, the SPACs, which are doing the IPOs, raising cash and then going to find a target, the DNO insurance premiums have shot through the roof. When we did our SPAC, and this was uh, last November, uh, when we completed the IPO, our DNO insurance for seven and a half million dollars worth of coverage cost us um, two hundred and two thousand dollars, if I remember right, and that's for uh, an eighteen-month period. Now, similar coverage. Is pricing anywhere from three fifty to five hundred thousand dollars or more? It's uh, it's a big nut. So uh, just be uh, be aware of that. If as you get bigger, you're gonna want to get that DNO insurance, and anybody that um, you invite to be on the board is probably gonna uh, expect it 
and you've got to factor, factor that into your budget. All right, one of the big areas that the NACD, that National Association of Corporate Directors, winds up uh, really uh, focused on is succession planning. And they say succession planning, you just uh, you just came in, you know, it's your company, you're the CEO, uh, and now you're getting everything all kicked off and organized. The NACD recommends that succession planning uh, begins that day, right away. And what you're doing is, hey, you're taking a look forward and saying, all right, you know, at some point you're going to wind up retiring or in the event of an unfortunate accident, uh, you know, or you wind up um, for some reason uh, incapacitated, you can't serve any longer as the CEO. Uh, You want to have a uh, process that's in place where you've got some uh, CEO candidates already lined up or in the works that can step in and replace you um, and become your successor upon retirement. And a lot of businesses that wind up uh, going up for sale, the smaller businesses, you know, it's been run by one person or a family for years. The kids don't want to take it over. And uh, the value, the brand is all built around that particular individual. Uh, And now the family's ready to put the company up for sale. Well, that uh, CEO's, you know, let's say he's in his mid-60s now. He wants to retire. But when he retires, that brand value, the customers, they're all there because of that person. You know, have you have you charted a path? And I'm talking about the board here. Has the board charted a path where you can uh, – replace him if there's a transaction and continue to preserve as much of that brand value and preserve those um, customer relationships. And it really comes down to good planning early. I agree with the NACD. You need to be looking at it, you know, years ahead and you start off by doing a skills assessment and the impact of that current um, CEO on the business. And this could go for the other C-level positions as well. What kind of succession plan do you have for if you have a separate uh, president um, from the CEO uh, office in the company? Um, it could be um, your chief financial officer. It could be your CTO and so forth. Do that skills assessment annually. And really, you can put that function on the head of HR to, to orchestrate it, but you want to see where you got gaps and is it time to make changes? Uh, we talked about the CTO role uh, early in the data breaches, Ron, and uh, the CTO role uh, today of today is far different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Absolutely uh, a big change in in. Yeah, they're responsible for a whole lot more these days. Yeah, and it's really this fast evolution of of technology and uh, 
people going more and more to online processing, cloud-based services, and so forth. So maybe uh, your original CTO that you've had at the company for the last 15 years, the position has outgrown that person. So is it time to make a change? Well, your board needs to be you know, focused on that and looking at succession planning for all of these C-level roles going forward. And not only that, that succession planning should uh, be pushed down through the entire organization. Because the last thing you want to have is somebody's got the keys to the kingdom in a particular department or functional area, and they wind up leaving and nobody has a clue how to do what they were doing. Nobody knows how to do their job. And that's... uh, that's bad, but uh, you know that's prevalent in a lot of smaller operations. So that's where you start to take systems, procedures, get them reduced down the writing, uh, rotate people through different uh, functional areas. Um, Chesapeake, uh, Chesapeake up in Oklahoma City, uh, did a fantastic job of rotating their personnel into different departments. It wasn't even their you know area of education or, or expertise, but they would rotate them around for three to six month stints into other uh, other departments so they could learn see uh, see what the other department was doing, how it operated, pick up some knowledge on, uh, on what that, you know, specialized activity is, you know, what are their daily tasks? And they let them get in there and, and help out and do some of that, uh, that work. And they keep people rotating through the organization. And it just made for a much, um, much more collaborative environment. Um, and everybody got smarter. Everybody in the organization got smarter and the uh, the company, um, you know, its um, its operations reflected that. Um, now, the fact that they wound up with a lot of debt on their books and then the commodity price is correct, that's a different story. But just in terms of, you know, running an operation, running an organization, um, that's probably one of the, the uh, great examples of um, how to knowledge share transfer that around and, and get your entire team um, to a different level, completely different level. So succession planning, uh, a, a big key. Um, you know, what else, do, what else do you wind up looking at? Cybersecurity. We talked about it earlier. We're going to circle back to it again. It is a big focus of the NACD, uh, and it's got to be top of mind today uh, with, the, with the directors. You've got to make sure you have uh, personnel focused on cybersecurity and protecting uh, protecting your data. The insurance companies will look at your IT environment, and Ron, you said it earlier that whole you know security platform. Who has access to what aspects of uh, the data and, and which software applications in the organization? It is. Uh, it is a really, really big focus. And then once you become a public company, your internal control environment around the whole IT platform is going to get scrutinized and it's going to get audited uh, because you have to, under the Sarbanes-Oxy rules, 
Uh, and then, you know, in financial institutions and some others, you got Dodd-Frank that applies as well. You wind up getting scrutinized on uh, on your IT environment and the strength or lack thereof uh, of that entire setup in your organization. We actually, um, and this is a, a number of years ago, but um, we had our uh, IT director actually go out to one of our field offices and he sat in the parking lot to see if he could hack into uh, the computers in the field office. And it turns out he could. So we had a vulnerability, but it was identified and he wound up going to all our field offices, ran the same set of tests, and we identified a problem. And so uh, we, when he got back to the office, we sat down and we went over you know, what the issues were, why he was able to penetrate and get into our system, uh, and then how could we fix it, and we came up with an action plan uh, and implemented that. So uh, really important area uh, to, uh, in today's time as well. All right, be sure and uh, stay tuned for Battle for Freedom with Watson Prunier. Uh, he's up next uh, on the Mojo 5 platform. You've been listening to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. Thanks for joining. And remember, you can't make dough without Doug. Thank you, Ron Phillips. We'll see you next week. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-0. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.